is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Steamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. Well, the A's head out on the road on Monday for the longest road trip of the season, and it's the halfway point of this 60-game schedule. They are the best team in the American League at the moment with a 20-9 and record, and they've got a lot going right and a little bit going wrong, but when you're this far over 500 halfway through the season, I think you can't complain too much. And in looking today at the baseball reference playoff odds, they are at better than 99.9% chance of making the postseason at this point. So not that anything in life is guaranteed, but I think that's a pretty strong chance that you're going to see them in the postseason this year. Yeah, I guess in 2020, anything's possible, but uh, even a 0.0001% chance of not making it. But no, I think the A's have set themselves up pretty well here. You're looking at the AOS, all you have to do is be in the top two, and the AOS now has three teams that really aren't doing much of anything, including the one that they're going to be facing starting on Monday, the Rangers. So as long as the A's can uh, just sort of play decent baseball, they'll make it. I'm sure they would like to be one of the top two seeds, but... Yeah, I think they're set up pretty well. I think they have some real strong indicators of being a good playoff team, but also some concerns as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in talking to Frankie Montas after his start yesterday, you know, he said basically that the team hasn't played up to its capabilities yet, and yet, you know, they feel pretty good about where they're at. But it's true, like you look at this season so far, and and obviously they're winning the games and they're coming through when it matters at the end. But at no point do you feel like they're really dominating yet. And, And this is a roster that I think from a talent perspective can be dominant when everything's clicking. So, you know, either that means they've got a second level that they haven't gotten to yet, which I think would be a good thing for them. They tend to sometimes peak a little bit too early when it comes to getting to a postseason appearance. But it also could mean that maybe the record's a little bit deceiving. And and I do wonder, you know, how much these late game victories and these one run wins that they've had have skewed a little bit how they've played. Yeah, I think there's definitely a little bit to that for sure. And you look at what they're strong at and some of their weaknesses at this point. Obviously, their bullpen is ridiculously strong. They've been so good. It's been pretty much ridiculous. Another, what was it, 11 and two-thirds scoreless innings during the last uh, series. I mean, just unbelievable. And Soria has been a completely new pitcher. Hendricks is, if he's not the best closer in the game, he's top two or three. And just go down the line, and the, and the bullpen is very deep, which is great because the starting staff has been shaky. There's hasn't been one pitcher this season who we could look at and say, all right, they've just been locked down the entire time. Luzardo's last start was incredible. So if he keeps pitching like that, I think you have a true number one pitcher. But, you know, Montas has been very shaky his last couple starts since coming back. Bassett's been the most consistent starter, and he's a guy that was thought of as sort of the bridge guy before who was put in the rotation puck got hurt. So I think that, you know, it would be nice to have uh, two dominant starters out of this group. I mean, maybe Manaya figures it out here. I think Fires is kind of who Fires is. And then the other thing I'd look at is that the team does strike out quite a bit, which is something that the postseason can catch up to you pretty quickly. I think they have a pretty good set of hitters against good pitching, which is something I look at for playoff success. It's sort of uh, intangible, but it's nice to have guys who can hit good pitching and not be intimidated by the best starters in the game. That's sort of why I thought years ago they shouldn't have traded Yohannes Hespedes because their lineup was short on this type of dudes. But I like the way that Canna and Piscotti in particular have had bats in leverage situations, tough situations. But I do think sometimes the lineup tends to be a little bit streaky, a little bit home run heavy on occasion. 
but mostly just two strikeout heavy, two strikeout prone. And those are really the only issues I'd see with them in a postseason series. I thought what Mark Hanna said about his at bat in the 10th inning on Sunday was really important. And it's something that, you know, I don't know how much other hitters on the team listen to their teammates in terms of how they approach certain at bats. But you know, he got down two strikes with runners on first and third and no outs. And, you know, a strikeout there puts you in a, in a pretty bad position. It puts you in a, a spot where a double play gets the Angels out of that inning, and then you start to build into a situation where you've blown that chance, and, it, and it's hard to win those extra inning games. And he talked about how he did shorten up. He kind of shortened his stride. He choked up on the bat a little bit, you know, looking to just get the ball in the air somewhere, and that's exactly what he did. He didn't hit it particularly hard, but he got it far enough out into the outfield. And it's something that I think two-strike approach has not really been the A's forte over the last few years. And, and certainly the game has moved away from, you know, the guys like like Carney Lansford, or even, you know, back in the day, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire are shortening up with two strikes. But I do think that having guys that can recognize in a moment that a different approach is necessary uh, is important. So maybe Mark Canna doesn't use that approach in the fourth inning of a game, but as a game gets closer to the end of it and you need just the one run to secure the win, the ability to be able to recognize that and adjust to it, I think is really important. And, you know, he's shown that he can kind of slow himself down, not try to do too much in those situations. And he, and he really could be a key for them in a postseason series. I don't know that there's been an opportunity since it's just been those two wildcard games where he's had a chance to actually put an impact on a postseason series. But I think he's a guy that, that could actually end up being, you know, their most important hitter if they get into a three-game series. That's true, too. The other weakness I would say, if I didn't catch this before, was second base is obvious. I think you wrote about it yesterday, the fact that Tony Kemp is one of the worst defensive second basemen in the league in terms of defensive runs saved, and his offense is starting to struggle a little bit as well. You know, he's walking, but he's not doing much else. Chad Pinder, same thing. Offensive numbers are, are not really there, but the defense is better. I think a really solid defensive second baseman could also help, too, just because I don't know if you've noticed this, but Simeon's defense this year is not quite what it was last year when he seemed like he was a gold glove contender. You know, it's not just errors either. He made his third error of the season on Saturday when I was there, and the whole team was just playing terrible defensively. And honestly, I think some of the air pollution (laughs) might have been... uh, fogging the team's brains a little bit, it seemed like. But also, he's just not fielding balls that he normally would. In the Giants series, in one game, he had two different line drives that went to him that he normally you'd think would catch, and he just just missed. They are both called base hits, but just kind of seemed off. And then he didn't catch that perfect throw from Sean Murphy yesterday at second base either. And so you just kind of wonder if, like, it's defensive chemistry for the A's seems so important. And having a rotating set of second basemen who aren't particularly amazing with the glove, just kind of wonder if maybe that's having sort of a domino effect with the whole defense. Yeah, you know, and I'm a little surprised at this point. And, you know, granted, there are some roster considerations with the fact that they can't just option uh, Machine or Barreto. But I'm a little surprised that they haven't tried Sheldon Noisy at second base at this point, just given the fact that you're right, that I think Tony Kemp's kind of impact has dwindled some, you know, from the initial couple of weeks when he looked like he was playing pretty well. And in fairness to Tony Kemp, he had played mostly outfield, I think, with the Astros in recent years. So, you know, he's getting reacclimated a little bit to second base, but he just doesn't seem to have the same range that you would like to see at that position or the arm strength, given that the struggles they have with Jerickson Profar at that spot last year, you know, obviously an upgrade defensively there would have been preferable, I think. And Noisy really at the end of last season showed quite a bit of 
uh, defensive ability. He's a, you know, his range at third base is really, really strong. And he showed that ability at second base. His arm strength is, you know, among the top in the whole organization. So he can make those turns at second that I think you've seen with Kemp. They've been late on a couple of double plays. There was one that scored the run, you know, right before the fourth run scored off Montas on Sunday, where Chapman made a great pick on a, you know, low hard ground ball to third, turned it quickly to second, and they weren't able to get Rendon at first. And Rendon runs pretty well, but that's a play, I think, with a stronger arm second baseman, they get that double play, and then that run doesn't score. So there's little things, you know, I mean, Kemp's done some good things, too. He's turned over the line up there and seeing a lot of pitches, but I like him better as sort of a super utility guy and, and less as your sort of everyday second baseman. And he's kind of become that since they've not faced a whole lot of left-handed starters. So I think you're right. Second base is definitely an issue that they should address. And, you know, I wonder if at this point, we haven't seen Sheldon Noisy because it's not the trade deadline yet, but maybe if that passes and he's still with the team and they haven't addressed second base, that he's a guy that they bring up and try to figure out if if he's the answer, at least defensively there at second. Yeah. And you mentioned some uh, trade candidates that the A's could look at with Merrifield, Adam Frazier, I'm blanking on the third right now, but I, I think uh, you look at David Fletcher, I think it was... Oh, David Fletcher, yeah, which <laughs> you know, we got plenty of David Fletcher in this last week. Yeah, the A's starters would be so happy if they got David Fletcher, that guy. I, I, I still am like speechless at that pitch that he hit that was uh, about at the top of his head from Fires, and Fires just laughed afterwards, and he said he wasn't even that surprised just because Fletcher's maybe the best guy at barreling up balls in the entire league right now. That would be fun for the A's to get him. But when you talk about also the fact that you can only trade from your 60-person roster pool, you can't deal prospects, that really limits them. If I had to wager at this point, I don't see a trade coming of much circumstance. I mean, I'm not even sure who they would deal that would uh, be able to get an impact player at this point. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. I'm actually working on a piece which, uh, you know, may be out by uh, tomorrow that kind of looks at, at who their trade chips are at the alternate site. And the A's do actually have some of, you know, decent prospects that they could deal from. They've got a lot of depth in starting pitching and a lot of depth in outfield talent that they don't necessarily need at the big league level right away that I think they could deal from. You know, Noisy is another guy that, depending on what other organizations feel about him, is, is certainly somebody who could fill a lot of holes for another organization. But you know, again, he's a guy who could be very useful to the organization. So I think it's a hard balance to to make. Unlike past years where you have 150 minor leaguers to choose from and you can pick some guys that are a few years away from being ready, the bulk of the guys at the alternate site are guys that are, have been in the system for a little while and who you can sort of envision what role they might play in the big leagues. And I think it makes it a little harder to trade them away, especially in a season like this where uh, you may not be getting, you know, more than, say, if it's just for a starting pitcher, five starts or something out of the guy that you acquire, you know, it makes it a little harder to trade somebody away that you've actually sort of envisioned, you know, oh, he's going to be in this part of my lineup or he's going to, you know, play this particular role. So I didn't really think they were going to make a move. I, I sort of get this sense from the tea leaves that they will, that maybe there are enough parameters kind of developing between the teams. More information is being shared between the alternate sites between the teams than I initially thought they would have. Um, And so, you know, I think there are more opportunities to make trades than I thought there would be. But it's definitely a different kind of year. I mean, you know, say, for instance, they picked up a starter like Kevin Gaussman, who, you know, is a pending free agent, and you get maybe five starts from him and you give up a guy like, say, 
I don't know, even Luis Barrera or someone who goes on and, and has a solid major league career, unless you win the World Series, it's hard to feel pretty good about having giving up somebody for five starts. So it's a lot to consider. But I do think, you know, the fact that they've gotten to this point of the season and haven't had significant pitching injuries yet is so different than basically every organization in baseball that you almost have to think you need to prepare for the fact that they probably will have some at some point because every team does, you know. So I could see even if it's not a glaring need, if they don't add a starter, adding bullpen help just to create a bigger, you know, bulk in case somebody does get hurt, um, it could be a way that they go. Yeah, I could see that too. I just, it, like you mentioned with, you know, unless you win the World Series, then it's kind of tough to say, okay, this five-game rental was really worth it. You know, <laughs> if you lose right away and don't even use the player you acquired in a postseason series, then you really feel silly. And also the fact that still, I mean, even though it hasn't really touched us on the western part of the United States with the, the teams, at least, the COVID situation is fluid. And you don't know for sure if the season's going to last all the way through September. I mean, it, it appears that they figured it out in terms of staying out of trouble and making sure that they don't get infected. And even a player with a, a team might get it in other part of the country, but the entire team doesn't get infected. But you never know. I mean, this, the whole thing could get derailed. And so how much do you put emphasis and weight on this particular season and getting that uh, big hunk of metal, as Rob Manford called it. And, you know, when there's no fans there either. So I, I that's the thing. I don't know what the A's are really thinking. And I remember David Force hearing him say it was, you know, obviously one of the weirdest trade deadlines coming up that he's dealt with in this career. And I think every team's got these same sort of weird ideas floating around their head about, you know, okay, well, the pros and cons of making a deal at this point. How about also the fact that it's an expanded playoffs? And so 16 teams could get in instead of uh, the regular 10. All these things put together, I just, yeah, maybe they get a, a, a depth piece somewhere from a team that uh, just wants to make an incremental move and is a seller. But I don't know how many sellers there are at this point. Yeah, now I will say, um, and this is probably giving away some of, of what I'm working on from a writing uh -oh. perspective, but the fact that they did bring up James Caprellian and they showcased him in, in at least one outing, I thought was a little bit of an interesting tell. Um, you know, he's a guy who did not show that kind of velocity that he showed in that appearance with the Giants during the minor league season, except towards the end. So if teams had been scouting him during uh, the bulk of the minor league season there, they wouldn't have seen those kind of ratings. Spring training was so quick and I think data was so scattered. I'm not sure that teams would have been having a chance to zero in there. So bringing him up and showing him, and when you look at the pool of players that they had available that they could have brought up at that point, I think it was a little bit telling because, you know, he's a guy who does look so different than he looked last year, and there would be no way for teams to really know that unless they saw it themselves. That, I think, is maybe a sign that they are at least thinking – here are our chips that are going to be on the table and we're going to try to make some sort of a move from our areas of strength. So I think there are probably areas and they've certainly never been a team that's been afraid to go ahead and mortgage a little bit of the future for a chance to win now. I think the idea of winning a title under any circumstance is pretty important to them. So, you know, I don't think they'll sell the whole house, but I, I certainly wouldn't uh, be surprised if they, you know, sold a shed, <laughs> if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I think it's kind of funny that you, you say that let you know, team C Caprillion for themselves, especially the team that he faced, perhaps. It's a situation where the Giants are pretty short on good bullpen arms and 
you know, maybe if they're thinking about dealing away a guy like Gaussman, then you know, maybe Caprillion's uh, one of the pieces that uh, they could they could look at. Maybe, perhaps, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting thought for sure. The idea of showcasing guys, and that's something in sports that you think about sometimes, and you're not sure. Like, is that why this person was put in for all these extra minutes that one time? You know, whether it's in, in baseball or, or basketball or whatever. Like, kind of wondered about when when teams are doing this type of thing because it was weird. Like, he came in, they had a blowout. He pitched two innings. It was a nice story, and then he was gone. And so you wonder, hmm, okay, is he is he a part of the future or not? You know, and so that is interesting. The A's are just like replete with awesome bullpen arms this year. I mean, even Trevino, who had a tough year last year, is looking better and better, it seems like, each time. And so you just go up and down the line. You just have this great bullpen. So maybe that is somewhere where they could uh, deal and pick up either, you know, a starter to help them in case of injury or in case of, you know, just needing some some rotation depth or second baseman, which is, at this point, if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said, hey, they could probably figure it out with uh, the second baseman they have. And now it's kind of making it seem like, eh, maybe that's, if you have a playoff roster and you have that one weakness, second base is kind of an important position. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think just also in, in you're looking at this final stretch, you know, they're going out on this 10-game road, or road trip that goes 10 games in 11 days. They've just come off of a, a homestand that um, I think was trying in a lot of ways. You know, they had to deal with some pretty inclement weather that you're, you know, you're talking about with the smoke and the heat. And, and it's, so it's not normal that you would say that about a series in Oakland where you would, you know, think that a team would be worn out after playing there. It's not like going to the Northeast in the summer, you know. But in a lot of ways, this kind of last few days was probably as tough on the body um, as being in, you know, one of those Northeast, you know, high humidity, upper 90s kind of situations. And so how they respond to that now going to Texas, where at least it will be indoors, but it's still obviously a hot and humid climate, then going into Houston, which, um, you know, hopefully will not be hit by those storms that were coming in from the Gulf. But, you know, there could be weather remnants there. They've played a lot of games in a row. I think it's it will end up being something like 17 in a row until they get that off day on the 31st. So there is some, you know, sense that having some depth there and, you know, guarding against uh, sort of attrition is a good idea. AJ Puck, it sounds like, is, is on his way back and he could be the guy that kind of comes in and you know, helps buffer the bullpen from the work that they've had. Paul Blackburn hasn't made any appearances since he was called up. So I think that would be an obvious spot that that AJ could take when he's ready to go. But it's not a marathon anymore because it's not 162 games. And yet they're at the part of the like, I don't know, 12 lap sprint that you're starting to feel it really quickly, you know, a lot. And maybe the adrenaline doesn't kick in for another couple of laps. So this is going to be an interesting test for them, I think. Well, I just know me for covering two games in person. I went on Friday night and I went on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening. I wasn't feeling quite myself. It just seemed like my eyes were stinging when I was at the game. Uh, My head wasn't completely clear and the air on the field, you could just see it. And Matt Chapman actually after Saturday's game said, and that was after, you know, he made an error and a couple other defensive plays that you wouldn't see from him that weren't quite up to his standard. And he, he didn't blame the the weather, the, the humidity and the smoke on that, but they were playing in unhealthy conditions. And so it was, you know, talking like 200 particulate mat pieces in the air or whatever it is, and you could feel it. And I think there's a lingering effect. Chapman said afterwards, you get tired, you go, you, you don't really think about it when you're playing, but when you get home, 
you have some lingering fatigue. I think the whole team had to deal with that. Obviously, the Angels are playing it too, but still, it's a situation where, as you mentioned, no days off. Then they're flying to Texas without a day off. So all of this, and plus just the stresses of playing in the season that's this crazy, I could see them uh, you know, maybe having a little bit of a tough time in Texas. Maybe they don't. Maybe they rally through and then you know, win the next uh, you know, five or six of the next seven games before they have their first day off. But it's, it's definitely a situation this last weekend that was very strange. And honestly, it was, I think it was kind of a shame that they were forced to play in those conditions because they were brutal. Yeah, no, I agree. It was hard to even be inside in the East Bay this weekend, let alone outside. So, um, you know, I think that kudos to all the players that played at the level that they did, you know, just just having to deal with all of that. Um, And the emotional stress of having to deal with everything that's been going on this season, I'm sure is wearing on these guys. But um, it's going to be definitely an an interesting test on this trip. I think the Astros, when they get to that part of the series, you know, is going to be a very different looking team than the one that they saw the last time. Time. You know, they kind of looked dead in the water, then they rebounded, then they kind of got it handed to them by the Padres this weekend. So it'll be interesting to see what they get. I- I'm really looking forward to Monday night's matchup with uh, Lance Lynn and Jesus Lazardo again. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that first one was was really fun. So, you know, hopefully we have a similar sort of kind of blow-by-blow matchup between, you know, two guys that could be two of the best pitchers in the American League West so far this year. Yeah, that'll be fun. It's Luzardo's starts are always must watch, but I think uh, after the way that he kind of seemed like he just figured everything out simultaneously in his last start and the location mistakes were gone, you know, his sequencing was perfect and he just seemed like he had everything going and yeah, Lance Lynn also fantastic pitcher. So it'll, they need Luzardo, I think at this point with, with Montas, I think trying to figure it out and I kind of worry about him as a potential injury candidate because he already was briefly scratched from a start for his uh, neck issues. I think Lizardo has got to be the guy that takes over as the ace if the A's are going to be a uh, playoff contender, not just contender, but a playoff success uh, story this year. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in the middle of the week to see how they're faring in Texas. <laughs>